Thank you for joining us for Talking Sleep, a podcast of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Seema Kosla, Medical Director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep in Fargo. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Nina Shattuck, a professor at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. Dr. Shattuck has dedicated her career to studying the effects of fatigue, sleep deprivation, thermal stress, and acceleration on the crews of dozens of Navy ships. Her work has resulted in sweeping changes to Navy policy to mandate the use of circadian-based watch bills. This has improved crew sleep and morale. Dr. Shattuck's presentation at Virtual Sleep 2020 was the meeting's highest attended live session, so we wanted to talk to her more about her work and how the Navy's new approach to sleep might apply to civilian patients. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Shattuck. Oh, thank you so much for asking me. And I'm so appreciative that you're willing to join us when your part of the world is literally on fire. I can hear (laughs) it in your voice. Yes, um, we have had many, many smoky days out here in California. We're hoping for some good weather that will cool things down out here. Well, I appreciate you joining us. So you had the most viewed live session at APSS. Congratulations. <laughs> well, thank you. I was really surprised to hear that. But I'm, I'm so glad that people heard the word about what we're doing with the military. Oh, it was fascinating. So how did you become interested in the military? Oh, that's an easy one. Uh, my dad enlisted in the Navy back, this is before World War II, He enlisted in the Navy, and his first assignment as a Navy corpsman or medic, his first assignment was at the Naval Hospital in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. He was there when uh, the bombing started. So it was, uh, and so he told um, years later, he he would uh, tell my brother and me, tell us about these the adventures that he'd had or the the conditions that sailors and Marines had to experience during this long war. So that's really hearing his stories and the, the really tough conditions under which these people lived and fought, um, those kind of inspired me to, to, to think about the lives of, of people in the military. I also had two other Um, uncles who served in the military, and then a third uncle who was actually killed during the war. So, so big family history of that. My brother then went on to join the army, not the Navy, uh, but went on to do that in Vietnam era. So he, uh, he was drafted and so had to, he served and went on to have a career in the army. So, and then my husband is actually, uh, is an army colonel, retired army colonel. So lots of family history about about the military. So a lot of of empathy, concern about people in the military and the lives that, that they live. I think that makes you uniquely positioned too. I learned a lot from your talk. And one of the things I found really fascinating was the submariners. Tell me more about them. <laughs> oh my goodness. So so as sleep professionals, we know about circadian rhythms. We know about the effects of light and how important that is on, on uh, setting our, our circadian clock. So 
and, and we've known about that for, for decades. But for some reason, um, well, I know the reason, there was a, an actually a thesis that was done. I teach here at the Naval Postgraduate School. And the department I teach in is called Operations Research. I found out soon after I joined the faculty that there was a, a student thesis way back in 1969 that recommended that since, since submariners did not see daylight very often, that it would be okay for them to have a, a day, a length of a day outside 24 hours. So they came up with this 18-hour day. Their idea was, oh, they don't get exposed to light, so we can do that. So when I found out that that thesis had actually come out of my home department, I felt like the onus was on me. It, we had to remedy this. It was just a terrible thing because the, the submarine community, you know, they, they were engineers. Uh, they were uh, nuclear, nuclear propulsion people. They had no idea about circadian rhythms. So, so we had to get that changed. So that was one of the one of the things I learned when I came to NPS was was how what the schedules that they were on. So that was an 18-hour day. But there's another population also in my class that the surface warfare officers, the, they call themselves SWOs. And the SWOs, not to be outdone by an 18-hour day. They were giving themselves a 15-hour day. Oh, my gosh. So they were on this terrible five-and-dime schedule. So so when I – at first, I thought, they've got to be making this up. They can't be doing it. But then when we went out to the ships and, and measured them and collected actigraphy data, we saw, in fact, they were doing this. So really a, a crazy thing to uh, – like they had taken aim and shot themselves in the foot. When I hear that, it makes me cringe. And yet it took until 2016 to make a change. Why do you think that was? Uh, that's absolutely right. I think, you know, I, we jokingly talk about the Navy as being 200 years of naval tradition unimpeded by progress. <laughs> They're very <laughs> proud of their traditions. You know, as any organization that's been around for a long time. You have tradition. So they think this is the way they've always done it because they learn to do it certain ways. Um, and then that just gets passed down from generation to generation. So I think it's, it's very hard to think outside the box. Hey, there's a new way of doing things. This has worked for us. So, you know, why, why uh, if, it, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of attitude. So I think um, the reason it took so long is we really didn't have data that, that showed them the, the consequences of what was happening. So once we had that evidence, uh, they were able to make that change. So I think that's, that is uh, kind of key to, to anything we're doing in the sleep community. You've got to show people, you've got to have that evidence to, to explain to them. Sometimes that's not enough. You know, we think about things like smoking and lung cancer, just, okay, here's the evidence. People can still reject that. But if you can get that into policy, high level policy, then I think that's where you really stand a chance of making change. 
And I think you're right. I think that advice is pertinent, not just for sleep medicine. I think we see a lot of that hierarchical change or perhaps resistance to change in medicine. Your point is very well taken that we need to have the data to really back up our recommendations. Yes. And I think you also want to, you you can't just aim your your findings at one like at the top tier, top leadership. You really need it all up across the spectrum. You need it at the grassroots level because they will have, you know, you've got to get everybody kind of pulling in the same direction to really get change to happen. So, yeah. That's true. You need buy-in. Yeah, buy-in at all levels. Exactly. So last week when we visited, you mentioned that the military was an agent of social change. And, you know, I've really been thinking about it since that time. I wonder if you can expand on that a little bit. Oh, sure. The U.S. military has been an agent of social change. When you think about, about integration, when we um, after World War II, we really started fully integrating blacks and minorities into its ranks. We've also made great strides toward including females and LGBT. All of these things, I think, the military has actually led these social changes in our society. I don't think that that's, that was what they set out to do, but I think probably because they, they needed more people that we didn't, we no longer were using the draft. So once the draft stopped, how do we, inc- uh, how do we increase the number of people that are in the military when we, we need to have more people enlisting and more people joining. So they've, they've expanded that and they've become much more inclusive. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? That it was almost like a side effect. It is. It was a side effect of they didn't have enough people. So guess what? And then once people said, hey, this is not an issue. We can have blacks and whites in the same unit serving together and and, and now, if you approach somebody in the military and say, do you have an issue with this? They'll, they'll look at you like you're crazy because it's totally accepted and assumed that, that, um, that they will be full members of the, of the group. I think it's, it's been, it's, as you say, uh, this unintended consequence, a side effect. It's not that they started out to say, hey, can society... Uh, include these people? Can they work side by side? But having seen it, then I think, and, and I've seen this in my years with the military, working with the military, there's very little prejudice in the military. There's very little of, of that that goes on, I think, um, much more so perhaps than, than in the general population. So hopefully that trend, setting those trends can, can have long-term affect long-term consequences in in our society. Well, and I hope we see those mirrored in our society moving forward. Yes, absolutely. During your talk, you mentioned looking for gold nuggets. I hope you have some nuggets that will help our civilian patients. But first, let's take a short break. You're listening to Talking Sleep from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Prepare for post-COVID-19 operations, optimize your sleep facility, and learn accreditation tips at the ASM Practice Management course. This one-day online course is more affordable than ever. Earn up to seven and a half hours of continuing education 
and get a jump start on 2021 with easy to implement skills taught by sleep experts. Register today at aasm.org PMC. Welcome back to Talking Sleep. We're talking with Dr. Nita Shattuck, who's had an impressive career with the U.S. Navy, impacting sleep, behavior, and culture. So before the break, we touched on this idea of gold nuggets, that we can carry gold nuggets from your good work to our civilian patients. How can we help our patients better understand the importance of sleep? So great question. I think that any any person that you're trying to communicate about sleep, I think you have to see what's really important to them. What is that hook? How can you hook their interest and, and convince them of the importance of sleep? So for the military, for example, so the military, something like 80% of the military is male. They're, the population is male. So, so one of the things that, that we used right off the bat is we said, okay, uh, guess what? You're going to look at your testosterone levels when you, when you miss sleep. Well, that's not going to work with everybody, that argument, but it was very important for some of these people. Uh, you want to lift weights. You want to get stronger. You want to be faster. All of these things we talk about those things and for each population. And so the military, most of the military is young males. So you think about what are the things that really, that really will catch their attention. So, you know, they might kind of snigger at it a little, but in fact, they will, they'll say, they'll, they'll think about it and they'll think, Oh, you know what? Uh, I, I, I'm better looking, you know, there's all these different ways I think of hooking your population of, of, of convincing them of that. And I think one of the major things in, in the military is safety. So we've had some very, very highly publicized tragedies that have occurred over the past four or five years. And we've lost uh, just in 2017 alone, we lost 17 sailors in and collisions, ships colliding with other ships, and people were killed. So when you talk about the the importance of sleep for for being alert, for having safe operations, whether that's in a medical uh, setting or on a ship or wherever, I think you need to say you're going to do better work, especially uh, work. Sometimes people say, "Oh, I I can I can continue." performing in, in, in the face of, of uh, sleep deprivation. And yes, you can at a certain level, but when you, when you encounter a novel situation, something unexpected, that's where we see our sleep debt will really bite us. So that's, those are some of the, the arguments that we've used in the Navy and in the other military uh, to help us with that. But what a great point. I mean, when something catastrophic happens, we pay attention right away. And then it's it's really intense for a while, but then our attention seems to wane. So how can we work toward preventing these incidents rather than reacting and then forgetting until the next one? What concrete steps need to happen to promote safer sleep in our drivers and, and maybe our shift workers? So, you know, when you think about accidents, accidents are lagging indicators. So, you know, they happen and then you, then 
you know, that sleep deprivation or whatever caused that accident had occurred in the past. So you're absolutely right. How do we get out in front of that? And I think um, one of the things that's happening that I see a, a lot of folks using is various tools to help them see what is happening to their sleep patterns. So, so whether you're talking about wearable devices, um, scheduling tools that they have on their on their phones, those kinds of things, smartphones, all of these things, I think can really help people. They can say, "Oh, uh, here I am. I'm I'm basically operating as if I was." It's, uh, it was legally drunk. So you have those those kinds of apps and those kinds of tools that I think can really help people a lot. I have a friend who just got uh, one of the aura rings that uh, and he he works. He's a, a nurse and he does shift work and he's had a chronic sleep issues. And I recommended that he consider wearing wearing something to to actually monitor his sleep. It's completely changed his patterns. He realizes, wow, he's got it's the onus is on him to get to sleep. He's got to set an earlier bedtime, knowing what time he's going to be awakened in the morning. So he's using these tools for himself. And I'm hopeful that that people in society will see that people will adopt smarter shift work patterns. So uh, whether it be the company organizing those or people doing that for themselves. You kind of touched on some themes. You presented your friend with data and you also personalized your message for him. And I think both of yes. these are very impactful, resulting in behavior change. Absolutely. And when when I offered to show him, here's what my data look like, because it just so happens I'm kind of a world-class sleeper. <laughs> I love sleep and I get great sleep every night, almost always. But um, but so when I show him, when I showed him, hey, this is what it should look like, or this is a good night's sleep, and then we looked at his, then I think that gives them something to shoot for. Okay, is there an issue? Do I need to get do I need to go and get a sleep consult, which could very easily be the case? Or how do I, what kinds of things am I doing to myself that that cuts into my sleep time? You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the messaging we had around tobacco cessation. So remember when we would talk about COPD and cancer, it always seemed like those were things that happened to other people. Right. But when you were one-on-one -on -one with a woman and you talk to her about the wrinkles around her lips or her skin tone, that really seemed to register. And then they would say, okay, hang on. I'm, I'm not sure I want to smoke anymore. Wait, that's, that's got my, that's got my attention. <laughs> yeah. Because I think there's this whole idea of this, um, the fountain of youth, you know, how, how can I, how can I look younger? How can I, uh, be more attractive. And I think that, that again, depending upon who you're talking to, um, and I think health and wellness is a, is a big hook as well. You know, do you want to live longer? Do you want to have better quality of life? Do you remember when I think it was Estee Lauder or one of those companies where they did that study on sleep? They had these experts and they had some sort of device that measured skin tone and wrinkle depth. 
And they looked at all these women. And what they found is that if you were more well rested, you appeared to be more youthful. And to me, the most striking thing about that study is it was done by Estee Lauder. That's right. Right. Like, well, but I think um, there's when you look at this kind of holistic approach to looking good, part of that, a big part of that is is getting good sleep, you know, proper nutrition, hydration, and all of these things all contribute. But I uh, but that that is kind of funny that that it would be Estee Lauder that that would would be promoting sleep. <laughs> this really brings us back to the idea of how do we get the science then into policies if we want to improve sleep in schools and in our neighborhoods? And what about our shift work patients? How do we do that? From my perspective, data data carries the day. You've got to show people. The evidence, uh, whether whether you're talking about making things safer or making things less expensive, um, I mean, so one of the things that we actually have done with the the Navy is we've shown them that hey, if you make these changes, there's no additional cost. You don't have to go buy some new whatever and install it everywhere. This, these are changes that don't cost you a dime, but you're going to have better outcomes. So I think, you know, a lot of times people are very resistant to change because it costs them something. It costs money. You know, we've got to buy new things or install something. But what's really, what's really, I think, important to realize is all the benefit that can come at really no additional cost. You've got to educate people, though, and I think... Um, I think once once you start that education, and I think it's it's become much more available. That information is much more available now than it was even say five or ten years ago. It's in the the mainstream media. You see all kinds of of uh, comments about sleep and how how important it is. So I think if you can convince if you can convince the leadership of how important it is and the benefits that you're going to get and how it really is not costly, I think that's what carries the day. At least that has with, with us in the military. They've, they've changed the policy because they say, wow, well, this is a no-brainer. They, they, work, they work better. They're happier. They're more willing to stay in the military so there's all these side effects that, that, that occur because of that, because of better sleep policies. And it's, that's almost the opposite of what we see with consumers, right? Where we have patients who are willing to spend 200 bucks on some sort of sleep gadget, but they're not willing to take the free advice of right. turn off your device, go to bed, exercise routinely, right. you know, and, and have this consistent sleep-wake cycle. And so... I guess it goes back to personalizing your message for the audience, right? I mean, right. whether you're approaching the administrative people or the patients in your clinic. I'm so glad, though, that the science has been accepted into policy changes, especially in what you've done. You've improved the sleep and the sleep health of the Navy and I'm sure other military service members. And so we need to capture on what you've done and we need to bring that into our schools and our drivers and our workplaces. You know, when we see a lot of these people that do this rotating shift still, 
And when I see these patients in, in clinic, I got to tell you, it makes me a little bit crazy. Yeah. So I'm trying to learn from you for how we can improve that on a bigger scale rather than these one-on-one interactions in clinic. I mean, how do you implement these grand policy changes? And I think it goes back to imitating and learning from you, you know, presenting the data to the higher ups who can then make those decisions. So I agree with you. I think that that if you tell someone, a shift worker, oh, you know, this is really bad for you. This is you know, the, the schedule that you're working is is going to shorten your life. It's going to impact your health, whatever things you tell them. If there's no way for them to change it and the organization, I mean, I think that's why we have to get at the higher level organization that allows that and then we'll give them protected sleep opportunities. And then once they have that protected sleep opportunity at the same time each day, so, okay, yes, we have to do shift work, but this rotating shift work is really hard on people. So how do you do that? How can you, how can you help them with entrainment? So light exposure and, and all of these things, I think, are, are really important lessons. And then educating them on the importance of, of, of being responsible and exercising discipline over their own sleep habits. I think it's time for us to really take advantage of this cultural shift that I think we're seeing in society. So when I was a resident, we all took pride. It was like this badge of honor, right? I'll I'll sleep when I'm dead. (laughs) You know, and, and now we're seeing people on Instagram and they're evangelizing about their sleep. Hey, look at my sleep mask and this is my sleep environment and this is my bedtime routine. And so I think that the public is ready for this. I agree. And they're hungry for this information. I absolutely agree with you. I think, and perhaps that's what's happened in the military too, is that is that this messaging has gone out and from a number of sources and, but they're all, it's the same message about, you know, taking care of your, your sleep and monitoring your light exposure and all of these things and caffeine use, the energy drinks, all of these things. I think people are, are becoming aware universally. I mean, I think that it, the word is getting out. So it's it's a great time to be doing sleep medicine and to be helping people because I think they're they're ready now to embrace change. So that's that's a really exciting time to to be practicing medicine. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for sharing your very impressive work. I could I could sit and talk to you all day. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Talking Sleep, brought to you by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. For more podcast episodes, please visit our website at aasm.org. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. For more feedback or suggestions, email us at podcast at aasm.org. I hope you'll join us again for more Talking Sleep. Until next time, this is Seema Kosla, encouraging you to sleep well so you can live well.